This morning's scripture reading is from Acts 19, verses 1 through 10. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some came, became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Please join me as we pray God's blessing over the teaching of his word. Father, I thank you for your word that gives us life. I thank you for your word that reveals who you are to us. Lord, prepare our hearts to hear from you today. And we ask your anointing on Pastor Tom as he preaches. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll never forget one Sunday evening um, when I was seven years of age. Um, we, uh, me and my family went to a service, and there was a special speaker there. Uh, he was a ringmaster for a circus. And he shared uh, about his transformation, he talked about his conversion to Christianity, preached this message, uh, what it was like to have Christ in his life. And at the end of the message, he gave the invitation for anyone who wanted to receive Christ to come down to the altar. And I remember turning to my mom at age seven and saying, Mom, I want to receive Jesus. I want to know Jesus in my life. And, and my mom said, go, go and do it. And I remember walking down by myself, coming up to the um, front of the stage and getting on my knees and having this ringmaster at a circus from a circus, pray for me to receive Jesus Christ at seven years of age. I've often thought that's probably the reason why my life since then has been a three-ring circus when it comes to things of the Lord. But, but that was the first time I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I say first time because I think it was the first time of many times uh, as a kid growing up. I still wanted to follow after Christ. I remember um, one evening my mom was, I was laying in bed and the the, power, the Holy Spirit just kind of came over me. The conviction of God came over me. And I walked down to the end of the hall. My mom was on her knees scrubbing the floor. Uh, and uh, I went in and said, Mom, I want Jesus in my heart. And I got down on the floor with her and she prayed with me. Um, and I don't think there has been a day from that day forward that I didn't deeply love Jesus Christ. Um, not just Jesus, but his church. Um, 
it's probably why my mom, starting at age eight or nine years of age, started telling me that I sh- that someday she thought I should become a pastor. Um, a, an idea that I rejected over and over and over and over again. Um, and from that age, I, I wanted to be baptized. Uh, I'd seen over and over again that that at church and people would go up and they, they'd be baptized and they'd be able to tell their testimony and talk about how much Jesus meant to them. And, and so from about age eight or nine, I, I, I would go to my mom almost every week and I'd be like, Mom, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. And she, uh, and she said, Tommy, I want us all to be baptized together. Uh, my dad at that point was still struggling with, with alcoholism and, and he, wasn't really, he hadn't really given his heart to the Lord completely at that point, and my mom's desire was that we as a family would be baptized together. But I would continue to bug her for year after year after year after year. And finally, at age 13, the entire family was ready to be baptized, and so we, so I, I can remember it, it was a Sunday evening again at our church, and, and all five of us were lined up, and we went from, uh, we went from the youngest, my brother, at that point, who was, I think, about 11, all the way up to my dad. And each of us giving us our, giving a testimony of, of faith in Jesus Christ and, and our desire to follow Him in baptism. Um, and, and that was such a meaningful moment for us. Um, my mom and dad followed Jesus till the day they died. Um, uh, my, my sister, myself, my brother to this day serve Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. And, and, uh, and so from, Age eight, age seven, to the time I was baptized, I loved Jesus, I loved his church, I loved his word. So much so, I, I wanted all I could receive from him. And, and so I sought all I could get from him. I, I, I mean, I loved being in church for Sunday school. I, I loved being in church for Sunday morning services. I, I, I loved coming back to church on Wednesdays for youth group. Because I wanted more and more and more of who Jesus Christ was. I loved coming back on Sunday nights. Because it was a special moment where, where throughout my life, even to that point, the time I was, to the time I was 14, 15 years of age, I could point to those Sunday nights in which God did something incredible all the time, whether it was when I gave my heart to the Lord or when we were baptized as a family. And so every week on Sunday nights, I would go until one special Sunday night when I was 14 years of age. Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said into John's baptism, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. The one Sunday night that I'm referring to after the message, after the pastor got done, done preaching, we went to a time of prayer. And it was a time in which the pastor said, the altars are open for you guys to come forward. And a lot of you guys, some of you, um, if you grew up uh, at a church other than here, you kind of know what that means when the altars are open. 
And so it was a time for us just to go down to the front of the service, to go down to the front of the room and come to the, come to the altar and just spend some time in the presence of God. We don't do that here. It's kind of painful. And as I've gotten hard, oh, older, it's harder for me to kneel for any period of time. But as a 14-year-old, I remember going up to the right side of the stage, over in the corner, burying my head in the carpet and just praying. And my prayer was a simple prayer. My prayer was, God, I just want more of you. I want more of you in my life. I, I want to know you more deeply. I, I, I want to share in you more richly. Show me more of who you are, Holy Spirit. Come on me in a way that I might know you more deeply in my life. And as I prayed, I sensed the Holy Spirit come on me. And really more than that, I, I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt the Holy Spirit on an emotional and a physical level. I felt the Holy Spirit come on me in this unique way, in a way that I hadn't experienced to this point, but in a way that I've experienced repeatedly since that day. And as I was praying, and as I was sitting there, and as the Spirit of God came on me, in a way in which it was, it was, it was palatable. It was alive. It was real. I, I, I mean... I mean, I began to almost shake. I began to almost, almost shiver as the Spirit of God moved on me, but it was this, this warmth at the same time. And then I began to hear words forming in my mind, words that I hadn't heard before. And prompted by the Spirit, I began to speak them out, forming the words in my mouth. Not loud, but audible, as I prayed in tongues, as the Spirit gave me utterances. This experience was, was much like what is described in Acts chapter 2. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. And that gifting has been a part of my prayer life ever since. So for the last 36 years of my life, when I go to a time of prayer, when you see me stand in the back during worship, I'm praying in the Spirit as God is giving, giving me the words to pray. And it's a prayer that that encourages me. It's a prayer that, that moves me. It's, it's a prayer where the very sense of the presence of God is with me as I'm praying. His presence has fallen on me numerous times over the years, much in the same way I described happening when I was 14. And I don't think it's a coincidence that one year later, after receiving the Holy Spirit at age 15, I was at another service and I was in the front of the room and I was praying in tongues and the Spirit of God came on me and said, you're going to be a pastor. And over these years, God has gifted me in different ways by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's at times used me in the prophetic. In times in which I've stood up and I, and I believe that God has had a word for someone or for the congregation. And I've stood up and I've shared, I believe that God would have us know this today. It's been something that's consistent. It's something that happens. Sometimes some of you don't even realize it happens on a Sunday morning when I get up here and, I, and the Holy Spirit begins to say, this is what the church needs to hear today. He's used me in words of knowledge. When I've, when I've gotten up in a service or I've, or I've been talking to somebody and God will say, I want you to say this. I remember one specific time early on in our, in our church's history and I I was up here and I was, I was preaching upstairs actually when we were in the, the old auditorium and, and 
and I was preaching and, and I, I heard very clearly as I was talking, the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to give the example of someone who has a young child who's sick. And I want you to tell them that God knows and that God is working and that God heals. And so I gave that message in the middle of my message and after service I, I stepped down and there was a young couple that was there and and I, there was a couple that we had known from before. They were friends with Pastor Kevin and Amy. And, and so I just went up to greet them and I asked how things were going. And they began to share with me about their two-year-old son who was having some physical needs. And as they began to share that, I knew that that's who it was for. And I said, I don't know if you heard what I said earlier during the service. And before I even got the words out, she began to cry and nod her head. And I said, that's for you. Throughout my life, I've, I've, I've sensed since that time the Spirit of God moving in so many different ways in my life. He's used me in the area of divine healing. And we've had people who have, who have had needs and, and God has just led me to pray for them and lay hands on them and God has healed them instantly. I share my story because as we are in the series Unstoppable, the study in the book of Acts, We've been talking about what it means to be that first century church. We've been talking about and looking at and saying, and saying, there is this church that we read in the book of Acts and, and it is this church that was unstoppable. It was this church that changed the face of this earth. It was, it was this church that transformed the world. And it's the church that the word of God lays out before us to study and learn from. And so really, as I've said, it's really a study in the first century church, their actions and their attitudes and the attributes, who they were, the way in which, the way in which they prayed, the, the way in which they, they lived in community and cared for each other, the way in which they were, they were committed to the gospel message in the face of whatever they would come up against. We talked about, about their strengths that God used and even how He used their weaknesses. To bring forth the gospel and change the world. But throughout it all, as we've been studying, it has really been, and we have really seen, that it has been a power, it has been a a movement of the Holy Spirit power. That all throughout, we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit moving in incredible ways. We've seen the miraculous. We've seen the giftings of prophecy. We've seen healing and tongues and its interpretation. We've seen the manifestation of of, of words of wisdom and, and words of knowledge. We've seen the power of the Holy Spirit fuel this church at every single step, in every single situation, in incredible ways. So much so that the book of Acts has been known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And if that is a fair title, and I think it is, then we have to embrace the Acts of the Holy Spirit in our lives today and in our church today if we're truly going to emulate what we see in the book of Acts. I think, I, I think this is, is a vital reflection. If we're going to examine our church, the, 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 the church of the 21st century, in light of the church of the 1st century. You can't come into this conversation without embracing that comparison. Dr. Gordon Fee lays out the challenge 
when he says, I think it is fair to note that if there is one thing that differentiates the early church from its modern counterpart, it is in the level of awareness and experience of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Ask any number of people today from all sectors of Christendom to define or describe Christian conversion or Christian life, and the most noticeable feature of that definition would be its general lack of emphasis on the active, dynamic role of the Spirit. It is precisely the opposite of the New Testament. The Spirit is no mere addendum. No, He is the sine qua non, the essential ingredient of the Christian life. Nor is he a a mere datum of theology. Rather, he is to be experienced as powerfully present in their lives. Whatever else may be said of the early church, they were first and foremost people of the Spirit. Now we can stand here and we can, we can, we can spend hours debating elements of this issue. We, we can, we can try and answer questions like, like how does this happen? What are the manifestations? What are, what are the real manifestations? What are the manifestations for today? How should these, the, the, this move of the Spirit be used in our midst? We can ask about the infill. We can ask about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can say, when does this happen? Is it, is it at salvation or, or is it subsequent and is it separate? Now, I believe the infilling or the baptism or the coming of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, I believe it is a separate and sometimes simultaneous work of the Holy Spirit from salvation. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more this morning because I think our text leads us to at least address that. But ultimately... Most importantly to our reflections on the book book of Acts is that we have to open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to the reality that the power of the Holy Spirit is to be at work in his church. He's to be at work in believers' lives, empowering them for the work that is before them. Empowering them for the edification of the church. We have to embrace the reality that the Spirit is to play an active, dynamic role in the life of the believer and the church. You can't look at the book of Acts and, and, and impress it upon your own life without embracing that reality, that truth. Now I understand that there are people who will quibble over what that means. We'll argue over what it means as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, especially the dynamic manifestation gifts that are that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And I'll tell you at this point, our church believes that the gifts are meant for today. Um, that they didn't cease at some arbitrary point. We don't believe that the Bible Bible supports the idea that the gifts are no longer with us. And 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 if you want to hear more on this, if you understand our position more. You can go back to one of our early, my early messages in this in this in this series uh, on Acts chapter two. Um, you can contact us. I'll give you the information that we teach in our equip classes on Wednesday nights on that topic. But even if you disagree with our position on that, even if you're in this place and you disagree with our position on on the on the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit being manifested, the starting point of this conversation is 
the Spirit is to play an active, dynamic role in the life of the believer and in the church. That's the starting point of the conversation for all of us. And that's the, that, that, that's the point of reflection for all of us. Do we have, do we believe that the Holy Spirit is, to, is supposed to be playing a dynamic role in your life? And then, and then the next question comes into play, which is, is he? And, and when we ask that question, I think it provides for us the first point we need to examine if we're going to emulate the first century experience in our 21st century context. It leads us to the reality, to the truth of the need to embrace a persuasion of vitality. And what I mean by that is a conviction of necessity. That we believe that the active presence of the Holy Spirit is vital to our lives and our faith. It is a belief that we need the active Holy Spirit presence in our midst. That we need the active Holy Spirit presence here when we gather. That we need the active the active um, presence of the Holy Spirit when you get in your car to go home. That you need the active presence of the Holy Spirit in your house, in your workplace, everywhere you go. That you look at your life and you say, I need the Spirit of God moving on me, moving in me, doing things through me, strengthening me, empowering me, giving me the things to say. It can't be in a background way. It can't be in a way in which you say, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit is with me since salvation. And that's it. It's cool. But it has to be in a way in which he is speaking to us, speaking through us, empowering. We have to be in a place where we say, this is essential to my existence. Again, Dr. Fee explains why the Pentecostals of the last century in the US, United States specifically were powerfully visited by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, the Pentecostal experience historically came out of a deep dissatisfaction with things as they are in light of things as they were in the New Testament church, plus a deep spiritual hunger for the latter. They belonged to that tradition of piety that cried out, oh God, fill me with yourself and your power or I die. Out of that hunger and that cry, they experienced a mighty encounter with God and the Holy Spirit. We need to have the persuasion that His Holy Spirit presence is vital, not incidental. And I would argue that that same uh, persuasion, the persuasion of, oh God, fill me, with, with, with you and the power or I will die, very much reflects the persuasion of the church in Acts. Their perspective was the same. In fact, I would say their perspective was even deeper. And, 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 that's, and that's easy to understand. Because the persuasion of the vitality of that first century church seemed, that, seemed to demonstrate what was born out of Christ's instruction to them. And they stayed with that understanding throughout. 
In other words, Jesus was explaining to his disciples, I'm telling you, you need this. I'm telling you, this is vital for you. Jesus Christ said, Jesus Christ, during his ministry, he talked to the disciples and he says, listen, I'm going to send a comforter, a comforter that you need to comfort you. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to send you a spirit, a spirit that leads you in all truth. In fact, Jesus Christ went as far as to say, it is good that I go so that the spirit might come. Now I want you to understand the depth, how, how much Jesus must have been, must have been conveying the importance of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Here's the disciples, they're walking with Jesus. How many would you like to walk with Jesus? How many would you like to hang out with Jesus, eat with Jesus, spend time with Jesus, ask questions with Jesus, joke around with Jesus? Be cool, wouldn't it? How many of you would be like, man, it'd be great if he went? I can't wait till he goes. So whatever it was that Jesus was was promising them was something that must have been really important for them, right? It's good that I go so that the Spirit might come. And then when you, when, when you hear his instructions to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, you begin to understand the depths of the importance of the Spirit alive in their lives. Because he says, because what, what the recording in Acts 1 is, is this. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then he says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So right now what he's saying is, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there. And I want you to wait there because I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And when I baptize you in the Holy Spirit... The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you so that you will then become my witnesses. The word translated here as witnesses is martyrs, where we get the word martyr. So Jesus is saying, you're going to be my witnesses, witnesses that go to the ends of the earth all the way up until dying for me. Now, how many of you think that as he said that, he said, you're going to be my martyrs? How many of you think that the disciples went, holy cow, we need power. This is going to be vital. Whatever Jesus is saying here, whatever Jesus is talking about here. And, and remember, they're not even sure what it looks like. They're not even sure what it's, going to, what it's going to feel like. They're not even sure what's going to happen. But what they know and what Jesus has conveyed is, it is vital to your faith that the Holy Spirit is active in you. And I think it's safe to say that the book of Acts shows that they maintained a conviction of the necessity of the Holy Spirit to play an active, dynamic role in their lives. Because over and over and over and over, we see the disciples going where Paul went in this morning's passage. Do you have the Holy Spirit? No. Let's pray that you're baptized. Do you have the Holy Spirit? No. Okay, let's pray that you receive the Holy Spirit. They, they carried with them the sense of the, the, the vital nature of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter did it in chapter 2 in the very first sermon recorded after the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember, they're up in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes in and he, he, he shakes the room, 
Tongues of fire rest on them. Peter goes into the street with all the disciples. Everybody's like, oh, they're crazy or drunk. And Peter gets up and goes, no, 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 we're not crazy. We're not drunk. It's early in the morning. Nobody started drinking yet. And then he goes and he begins to say, what you're seeing here is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that, that in the latter days, the spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh and your young, and your young men, your young daughters, uh, will, young sons and young daughters will prophesy. And he goes into this sermon and he talks about the spirit of God and what he did through Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. And he testifies to the power of Christ. He testifies to the power of Jesus. And they're all amazed by what they see and what's taking place. And so the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on them. And they turn to him and they say, what must we do? What should we do? How should we respond to this? And how does Peter respond? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter, from, 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 from point one, says, listen, guys, you need to repent, come to him, so, and then you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He must have thought it was important, don't you think? His first message was, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. In, chapter, in Acts chapter 4, when they needed boldness, they prayed, and it says, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I want you to re- remember this. What was this? It's a bunch of Christians who have been already preaching Jesus. The, the, the authorities have come against them. They're scared because they don't want to be put in prison. They don't want to be beaten. They don't want to, they don't want to die. And so they come and they say, they, say, they, say, they say to God in prayer, gather together. And they say, listen, um, we know this is true, God. And we need the boldness to not back down. Please come upon us. Please empower us. Please give us the boldness. And these bunch of Christians who are gathered together, the room shakes, the Spirit of God comes in. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and they go forward in boldness. They must have thought it was important, right? They must have thought it was vital to their mission, to what they were trying to accomplish. How many of you here think think that sometimes I need more boldness? How many of you too often live in fear? In chapter 8, when the apostles heard that some Samaritans had received the word of God and had been baptized in the name of Jesus, but that the Spirit had not yet fallen on them, I want you to remember that. This is what's taking place. The apostles hear that in Samaria some people had come to know Jesus. That they've been baptized into Jesus, that they come to know the Lord, but the Spirit of God had not yet fallen on them. And you know what they did? They didn't go, okay, cool. Well, at least they know Jesus. That's not what they did. They heard that the Samaritans had, had, had come to Jesus, had believed in Jesus Christ. And so what they did is they turned and they said, uh, Peter, John, you need to go down there and you need to pray for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think they thought it was vital? I think they maybe thought it was important. And it says, and then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And I could go on and on and on all the way up until this morning's text where the church felt as though, where the church felt as though it was important for people to receive the Holy Spirit for whatever it was that God wanted to do in them. If you see the presence of the Holy Spirit 
as background to your Christian experience, then he will remain in the background. But if you establish in your life the conviction, the persuasion that the active presence of the Holy Spirit is vital to our lives, we will begin to see the Holy Spirit alive again in our lives. You can't expect the Holy Spirit to respond to you and I saying, eh, whatever. You know what? I got saved and that was cool and now it's great and whatever. Awesome. Kind of live my life like everybody else lives his life. What about the Holy Spirit in your life? Yeah, he, when I got saved, happened. Cool. How, how do you expect to see the Spirit of God alive in you if you're not sitting there understanding as the apostles did, as the first church did, which was, Holy Spirit, holy cow, I need you. I'm asking you this morning, in the words of Dr. Fee, do you have a deep dissatisfaction with the things as they are in light of the things as they were in the New Testament church? Do you have a deep spiritual hunger for the latter? Are you crying out, oh God, fill me with yourself and your power or I will die? And understand something, this can't be a one Sunday persuasion. I'm not here telling you, here we're in the service and I want you guys to really, really, really want the Spirit of God in your life right now. And I'm telling you this because most of us do that. Most of us find ourselves in the middle of a service and we're like, oh yeah, this is great, the Spirit's moving and God's doing it, the song's wonderful and whatever else. And then we're like, I really want God. And so we put our heads down and maybe we even cry or maybe we come to the altar, maybe we do what our thing is and we put in about 12 minutes or 8 minutes or 7 minutes or, or 4 minutes because, you know, we're, we're Americans and in 2019 our attention span's really short so 8 minutes is actually a lot of time. And then we're like, oh, nothing really happened. And then we get up and we walk out and we go, I don't know, I'm kind of disappointed. Nothing really happened. This can't be our one Sunday persuasion, but our every Sunday persuasion, our every Monday persuasion, our every Tuesday persuasion, our every day persuasion is I wake up every single day and I say, I need more of Jesus because if I don't have more of the spirit in my life, I may die. So many of us sit and we're like, I don't sense it, I don't feel it, I'm not experiencing it, I don't have it. Man, I don't know about you, but, but, but when, I was, when I was 8 years old and 9 years old and 10 years old and 11 years old and 12 years old and 13 years old, I always wanted to be in church because I wanted more of Jesus. Because I wanted to know him more. And every single Sunday I would be there. And every single Sunday night I would be there. And every Wednesday night I would be there. And you know what? It took six years of that before I had the Holy Spirit fall on me and me receive the gift of tongues. This has to be our everyday persuasion. And then whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do out of our, out of our persuasion, out of our posture, out of our place... Let him do. And that really gets us to the second point this morning that I want us to embrace. That we need to have a posture of humility. We have to follow up our, posture, our persuasion of vitality with a posture of humility. A humility before the Holy Spirit. 
We have to come to the Holy Spirit open to what he would have for us. Too many of us, uh, too many of us define for the Holy Spirit what we think the Holy Spirit can do. What we think the Holy Spirit does do. What we think the Holy Spirit should do. What we will let him do in our lives. And my greatest advice is simply say, come Holy Spirit and do what you want in me. Do what you want in me. Even if it doesn't fit my agenda, even if it doesn't fit my theology. I had, I had a guy come to, come to our church once, church I was up, up in Minnesota, and he came to me and he says, hey, I know you guys, you know, I know you guys believe the gifts are for today, and I know you guys are kind of a Pentecostal church and that. Um, I'm a cessationist. Uh, I, I don't think the gifts are for today. I don't, I don't think the Spirit of God moves in that way anymore. Is it okay if I come to your church? And, I, and, I, and my answer to him was, yeah, absolutely, dude. The only, the only posture I would ask of you that you would have is whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life, the Holy Spirit can do in my life. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit won't do something that's bad theology? Right? The Holy Spirit's not going to do something that is counter to his word. And so for us to come in and us to set guardrails for what the Holy Spirit can or should do in our lives is foolishness. It's silly. I don't care what book you've read. I don't think care what you've studied. I don't care what preacher you're listening to. The, the posture we should have before the Holy Spirit is, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do. I'm okay with it. It doesn't matter. Because I trust you, Holy Spirit, to do that which is in line with you. I'm guessing the Holy Spirit is not going to do anything that is counter to the Holy Spirit. And so we come into this place and we say, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do in my life. And then we allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit and sometimes challenge us or sometimes change us or sometimes transform us or sometimes change our theology. How many of you want your theology to be in line with the Holy Spirit's theology? There are far too many of us as, as Christians who have the same kind of posture. When I was, when I was in Bible college, we'd, we'd always get in these stupid, these, these stupid theological arguments. That's what we did. We couldn't go out drinking, so we would argue theology at night. And so I remember us getting, in, I remember us getting into these conversations about, uh, about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all that kind of stuff. So it was like, so is Jesus Christ coming back prior to the tribulation? Or is he coming back in the middle of the tribulation? Or is he coming back at the end of the tribulation? And people would stand there for hours and hours and hours and hours arguing about when it is that Jesus is coming back. So whenever that topic would come up, my answer would always be, I believe Jesus is coming pre-trib. And if he comes any other time, I'm not going. (laughs) Because here's the thing, right? He's going to do what he's going to do. And I want to be along for the ride. The Holy Spirit's going to do what the Holy Spirit does as long as I allow myself to do in my life what he wants. I don't, it doesn't matter what your theology is. My, my appeal to you this morning is, are you humble before the Holy Spirit? My appeal to you this morning is to lay your life down before the Holy Spirit and say, just do with me what you want to do in me. Uh, that first century church was so vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. 
They were simply waiting for what he would do. And he did. They were told to wait and they waited. They were asked, do you want to receive? And they said, I want to receive. The, the, the humility of innocence is important for us to capture in our time. I want you to hear that again. The, the, the humility of innocence is important for us to capture in our time. So many of us sit and go, well, I've got this figured out. Holy Spirit can't do that. He can do that. He can't do that. He can do that. He can't do that. All right, Holy Spirit, do something. That's not what the first century church's posture was, was it? Jesus said, wait, and what they did, what they do? They waited, and the Holy Spirit showed up. The disciples went to people and said, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? No, we don't even know what that is. Okay, well, let me pray for you. Boom. We must have a posture of humility before the Holy Spirit if we expect the Holy Spirit to move. I know some of you might be given to a theology that says there is no second work of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens at salvation, and that's it. Fine. Define it however you want. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the new work of the Holy Spirit, new presence of the Holy Spirit. What I can tell you is, in Acts 2, the disciples were praying with the conviction of the necessity of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit came in power and filled them, and the gifts of the Spirit were manifested. I can tell you that in Acts 4, the disciples were in need of boldness and they prayed with the conviction of the necessity of the Holy Spirit and the place they were praying was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I can tell you in Acts 8, some Samaritans had received the word of God and had been baptized into Jesus, but Peter and John laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit and power. Whatever your theology is, I can tell you that there's a bunch of believers who want more of the Holy Spirit, and so they understood the vitality and the need for the Holy Spirit, and they humbled themselves before the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit moved on them in a powerful way. If you're sitting here telling me, I received the Holy Spirit at salvation, and you can tell me you've experienced these things in your life since then, awesome. If you've been there and the room has shaken, if you've been there and the room has done amazing, God has done amazing things in you, awesome, that's great. Then you're open to what the Spirit has for you. But I'm telling you, if we're sitting here as believers saying, this is what I think, and you're not experiencing what they've experienced, we are robbing ourselves of the move of the Holy Spirit to be vital in our lives every day. In this morning's text, those who believed were baptized when they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. I believe this is an experience not meant to be buried in the stories of the first generation church, but meant to be lived by every generation of believers and by our church and by you. But the greatest deterrent is a church who considers it irrelevant and believers who are too arrogant to receive it. And finally, I want you guys to see clearly our emphasis today. This is not about getting something. This is about being something. My admonition to you guys, my instruction to you guys throughout this whole thing has not been, hey guys, come up here and what I'll do is I'll lay hands on you and then I'll start saying these words in your ears. And then if you hear me say those words, then 
You guys copy those words and then you'll have it, man. You'll have it, you'll have it, you'll have it. It's not about you guys coming up here and saying, guys, just stand there and just kind of be really like, be really loosey-goosey and I'm going to come up and I'm going to touch you on the head and then if you fall over, you fall over. Oh, you got it. This is not about getting something. It's about being a church that acknowledges our need for a vibrant, active Holy Spirit presence and about being believers humble enough before the Holy Spirit to receive from Him. What He gives, what He does is for Him to determine. I'm not talking about a moment. I'm not talking about a service. I'm, not ta- I'm talking here about a persuasion and a posture that is held every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, and every day of our lives. All I'm asking you guys to do is come to a place in which you are hungry for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today and tomorrow and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. And when we come back Sunday, have that same hunger. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't care, your persuasion is wrong. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not asking for you to have a moment. I'm asking you to have a heart change that says, I want the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit. My hunger for Him is because He is vital in my life. My desire is, come Holy Spirit in power, because without it, I may die. There's nothing ever wrong with that posture, is there? I'm asking you to come to a place in your life in which you say, all I want from the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it, I don't have an agenda, I don't have anything else but to receive from the Holy Spirit. And really, we're at the crossroads. You either do or you don't. You either choose to seek God or not. It's really what it comes down to. I don't care I don't care if a room shakes. I don't care if a wind blows. I don't care if tongues alight on people. I don't care if anyone in this room speaks in tongues. I don't care. What I care is that we are a church that is deeply hungry for the move of the Holy Spirit. And that is sincerely humble before the Holy Spirit. That's all I care about. Because I really believe that's all Jesus really cares about. 